In the last 10 years, our field has gone from an unknown specialty to a household name. This brings unprecedented opportunities, but we need to rise up to meet them and give our patients the care that they deserve. In order to help others get better, we need to be better. This podcast will help you to become more confident with your patients, more successful in your practice or business, and a leader in pelvic health. And we're going to have some fun along the way. Join us as we rise together. We're Jesse and Nicole Cozine, founders of Pelvic Sanity Physical Therapy and the creators of the Pelvic PT Huddle. And this is Pelvic PT Rising. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pelvic PT Rising Podcast with Jesse and Nicole Cozine. Hey Nicole. Hello. Talking today, pelvic floor strengthening. It has been almost a year since you released the pelvic floor strengthening Not Your Mama's Kegels course. Had 300 people go through that first cohort. We are now opening that up for the second cohort. And we're talking a little bit about where that came from and this idea that any exercise can be a pelvic floor exercise. And I want to, I have questions about this for you, Nicole. But first logistics is that if you guys do want to be part of that second cohort, make sure you sign up by this Friday, St. Patrick's Day, in honor of little Mr. Clay Patrick. You'll get $50 off the course. You'll get access to a live Q&A and you'll be going through it with an awesome group of people as you're going through and asking questions. So yes, Nicole, this idea that any exercise can be a pelvic floor exercise. Talk to me about that thought. You know, it's a really interesting. Not too long ago, I got a Instagram memory on my stories that for back from 2017, where I did, I was doing a wall push up with doing something with my leg and having a band around. And I had put as the caption, like any exercise can be a pelvic floor exercise. And and the amount of DMs that I got, which is like, what are you doing here? How? Why? Was actually really kind of alarming, quite frankly. But alarming why? Because you you assumed that other people thought that way? I was just like, well, what do you mean? I was I didn't understand why anybody would be asking me why. What are you doing here? And so, because this is how I've kind of always thought, going back to your question, Jesse, like, where did this come from? So 2017 was already me practicing quite a bit this way. And then 2017 was basically the beginning of me figuring out in the field, like, where have we gone to start everything with volitional approach to and, and an isolation approach to, to pelvic floor strengthening with Kegeling and be, having this awareness of your pelvic floor first and all of these things before we get to more advanced strengthening. And so, but to circle back a little bit even further, like I, when I was in even before PT school, when I was in high school, I worked at, like many of us, I worked as a physical therapy aide. I had been hurt myself. And, but I was, I, looking back now, what I didn't realize is that I was in a really progressive clinic back in the day. And as an aide, I was never just teaching my patient calf raises or squats even. There was always something added on to that strengthening exercise that I was teaching them. And whenever I, you know, I was very curious, so I would go back to the PT and I would be like, you know, you know, what's happening here and what, what are we doing? And they were always very much, they knew I wanted to go into PT at that time. And so then they were always really trying to explain stuff. And one of my people was like, well, you know, we don't coddle people here. 
they're going to leave this office and walk around and do something more difficult than a calf raise. So if if we think that calf raises are important, we'll have them do those at home. But while they're here, they're going to do something that's a little bit more challenging so that we go right to the edge of what they're capable of in a safe manner and challenge the system in a way that's going to create quicker change. I love that word coddle. We have to get back to that at some point. Uh, That's such a great way to phrase that. But that's your background. Then you go through physical therapy school then you go, I mean, this is when, when I was asking you about questions about when did you develop this idea or how did this come about? Because it wasn't being taught this way. You took the same Herman and Wallace volitional training that everyone did, right? I mean, nobody was like preaching this that you were hearing from. Yeah, no, I mean, no one taught me to do a standing assessment and stuff like that. So, I mean, I feel like the thing is, is that I always loved orthopedic PT. So to me, That's sort of the model that I've always looked through pelvic floor PT with is that lens of ortho, like where does pelvic floor rehab, where is it the same? And then where does it differ? And I think one of the biggest ways that ortho PT and pelvic PT overlap is that, or can overlap for me, is that we're always looking to challenge the system in a way that that loads that that can challenge just right to the edge of bef- right before the pelvic floor fails, but not too much, right? So, but to create a strengthening system that is going to mimic everyday life and mimic the things that they're going to be doing or mimic the troubling task that they're reporting pelvic floor symptoms with. And just like we do that in other areas, and I know we're going to go into this a little bit, but well, that's where I feel like I really started to be like, it never quite made sense to me when I was sitting in a Herman and Wallace course. And it was like, can they contract? Can they contract 50%? Can they relax all the way? It's like, well, we don't do that anywhere else in ortho. So I'm like, I don't get it. When does that actually happen in real life? When is somebody doing a full volitional squeeze? When you were talking to me about this, I love how you teach because you can explain things even to me who knows literally nothing, guys. I'm just a trained parrot over here. But you're like, hey, when does that actually happen? Like, when have you ever in your life actually done like a full on Kegel as a functional thing? It's like maybe when you're on a road trip and your parents won't pull over and you really got to go. Yeah. Like, I mean, and that, that honestly, think about it, you guys. When when have we ever done a full blown pelvic floor contraction, a max volitional contraction, even a 50% contraction, honestly, that's volitional. Like I, the only thing that I could think of really was, I mean, if not even teaching the knack, but that the knack is that right is like a, a pre essentially contraction of the pelvic floor against a intra-abdominal pressure or downward pressure that we know is coming. Um, But even that's difficult because sometimes we get surprised with a cough, laugh, or a sneeze. So that's like not even really a thing. And then, like I said, maybe if we really, really, really have to go pee, we do that holding situation or holding back a fart if we're like in in a public place where we really don't want to. I mean... Wait, you hold back your farts? Okay, Jesse, we're not even... Okay, he's cracking up over here. Seriously. A fart joke? Hey, we're almost 300 sods in and I haven't had a fart joke yet. Are you kidding me? I I deserve a medal for this. This is a serious conversation. And he is like cracking up. It's seriously so lame. I can't even handle it. (laughs) So, hold on. So, I feel like getting back. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so dumb. All right. So, but I think that does make sense then to me, right? Is that you're going into pelvic floor training where you're getting all this stuff on volitional movement and all of that. When you've come from this background, even in high school, working in a place where that was like the exact opposite, you were ortho, they were saying like, hey, we need to be approximating as best as possible real world stuff. You go through ortho, that's your lens. And then all of a sudden you're thinking that like, hey, this doesn't make sense. This isn't real world. This isn't functional. Yeah. And it was just, it it just didn't fit the model that I had ever practiced in or observed. It was like, wait a second, why are we starting on our backs? And why are we, again, like kind of coddling this situation? It always seemed sort of dumb for me to be like, okay, get into supine or get into hook lying and like do these pelvic floor contractions and become aware of this area that you're actually not usually aware of. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, session's over. And then they get up, they walk out of the place, they stop, they stoop down, they pick up their purse, they are running out of the clinic because they have another appointment to get to. And all of a sudden it's just like, wait, that doesn't make sense. What we just did, is that really going to translate to what that person just had to do even just getting out of this clinic. And it's like, no, much less, you know, playing tennis or doing something else. So once I sort of kind of embraced that a little bit more, I was like, okay, so I understand like this is where we're starting our education, but I'm going to not do that. (laughs) I'm going to do it this other way and see if my patients still get better. And then use some of that orthopedic background and strengthening and training focus that we had that was so easily done in ortho and see if like, well, what if I use that same thing with pelvic floor? The other thing that just to hit on this too, is when you were doing your earlier training and we were preparing for the episode, you said like the other part is it's just boring. It's boring. If it's boring to you, it's certainly boring to the patient. Yeah. That was the other thing. I was like, I don't think I'm going to just sit here and want to like watch a screen if it was using biofeedback or if even just like put my finger there and be like, okay, contract and like, okay, relax. Nope. Nope. You're not doing it. It's like, there is no, like that that just is boring to me. I don't want to do that. That's not why I got into pelvic floor. That's not, I think the internal component's really important, but that's more to feel like what the pelvic floor muscles are doing, not to have someone squeeze around my finger. To me, that's like, if that's all pelvic floor PT is, I would have been an ortho PT a long time ago. I would have stayed in ortho. Like that's just not fun to me. And so I think when we were talking about this, this is the phrase that you said that really struck me and that I felt like we needed to write down and really reiterate. But you said that in every other way we strength, we try as best as possible to mimic the real world challenge. In every other way we strengthen, we try as best as possible to mimic the real world challenge. And so we were talking about that from training for sport. We're talking about that for coming back from, I mean, give me some examples, Nicole, of like, that is like, it's gotten so much more functional. I even remember as an athlete, back in the day, right? That was changing as we were going through because it was like, oh, we're not going to just sit there like go into the weight room and do the bench press for basketball. It's like, oh, now we want to make that more functional and be on a ball and be like unstable and work with different stuff. Talk to me about some examples of like how in every other area except for pelvic health, the whole goal is to mimic the real world challenge. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at it's easy to think about it in terms of sports specific training, right? So if someone comes in and they are a soccer player and they've sprained their ankle, like once we get the initial acute phase of the 
injury down, which by the way, most of the time in pelvic floor, we don't really have an acute injury, except for maybe you could argue postpartum. But even then, by the time we're seeing them, they're kind of in that more subacute phase. They're not in that crazy acute phase because we're not seeing people soon enough. So, but if somebody comes in and has sprained their ankle and they play soccer, right, what do we get them to start doing? We get them to, sure, we might do a couple ankle pumps, but that's more for getting the swelling down and stuff like that. Then we get them up. We are starting to walk. We don't have them running and doing lateral drills yet, but we definitely have them in a stable position, but we're still challenging a little bit with perturbations. We're getting that proprioception back. What we're not doing usually is simply just doing ankle raises and TheraBand inversion and eversion exercises, right? That's for such basic stuff. We progress out of that so fast. And frankly, the way that we can do that the best is by using inversion and eversion and, and plantar and dorsiflexion in the most functional patterns possible. So with walking, with taking bigger steps, with lunging. Yeah. So even if you assist a lunge and you don't do a full body weight lunge, you're still approaching that motion so that you're going through so that that joint has to go through the motion in a way that most mimics what they're going to have to be doing. And then you gradually add on from there, either in load, in challenge to the exercise, we either put an unstable surface or we challenge the vestibular system, or we do something else to make that more difficult to a point in a controlled environment. But it's all under the overarching theme of getting that person to be as close, get them as close to doing what they want to get back to doing as quickly as possible. Because why? Especially with sports, it makes it more fun. It makes it more relatable. They can sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel. We're not sitting there on a table having them do resisted single plane exercises for the for a while until we deem it strong enough or they're aware of their ankle joint enough to progress towards standing things. That's just like not what we do. Another example would be in you know an ACL repair is just kind of similar, right? Where there are some things in a post-surgical rehab that we have to be cautious of. But once we get past all that, then it's like, great, we need you to get you know, we're walking first. We're walking without a limp first. We are getting you out of your crutches. We're doing all of that stuff, but we're up and we're on the limb in, in, so it can start to function as a system. Same thing with total hips, total knees, all of those progressions in ortho. It's like immediate functional strengthening as best we can. And then if we need to get more specific, then we can get more specific if we see a particular weakness that's really inhibiting that. But for the most part, we start to challenge the system as quickly as we can. If somebody comes in with a stroke or someone, an older adult that's falling, right? We don't they might need calf strength, but they're standing, right? So this always didn't make sense to me either, you know, with even like stroke rehab and stuff like you can have an an isolated muscle that is weak. You can objectively get quad strength that is on manual muscle testing three plus out of five when the technical definition of it be of being against gravity is three, right? It's barely able to do to support against gravity, but they're standing and walking and squatting, right? So it's like we know that we can have 
a single isolated muscle that's has less strength than we think it quote unquote should. And why does it still work? Why can that person still walk? Why can somebody test at two out of five glute strength, but still be standing? And that's because everything works in a system. And so when even in our orthopedic world, in our neuro world, right, that it's, thank God it's like that because otherwise we'd all be screwed. So if I don't understand, and this is where, you know, the whole genesis of the pelvic floor strengthening course came to be was like, how can I articulate? Like, I don't understand why we can't translate that to the pelvic floor. Why are we basically going backwards in our thinking just because it's the pelvic floor and the pelvic floor is a quote, different specialty. Like, I, I just don't understand that. So if we're going to train somebody for balance, then we start to get them on an unstable surface. We start to challenge their eyesight, right? Just simply when they're standing on a very stable surface, we challenge their vestibular system. We shouldn't spend time necessarily giving them, you know, straight calf raises. Does there, can you still have good balance with poor calf strength in an isolated strengthening assessment. Yeah, absolutely you can. So that's where I really feel like this obsession with how well does your pelvic floor volitionally contract as a measure of pelvic floor strength and even volitional relaxation at at that, that doesn't necessarily translate into the functional way that your pelvic floor works. And so I sort of rejected the premise that we have to have that first before we start to challenge that system. I do believe that we need to challenge the system in a strategic way. We can't just be like, oh, great, go ahead and do this thing and have it be way too difficult for the patient because then, yeah, that pelvic floor, even in a system will fail But that's where I want us to be really much more prescriptive in our exercises and in the way that we approach strengthening so that, and this is where the the title of the podcast comes in, every single exercise that we can possibly think of under the right guidance can be a pelvic floor strengthening exercise. And that does not, pelvic floor strengthening does not have to equal any volitional pelvic floor action. So the other thing that I I actually really appreciate about the way that you think and that you teach, Nicole, is that this is not just, hey, you shouldn't do Kegels because I don't do Kegels, or hey, why don't you just treat like me? But you actually took a really deep dive into the research on this, and I think you recognized, it's kind of like on the podcast, we always want to do the best form of the argument. So if you were more into the isolated strength approach, like why do we have a hard time abandoning that and moving away from it? Because you make it sound so obvious, like it's almost common sense. But clearly it's not because that's the way that we've been trained. That's the way that people have been educated. You identified the reason we have a hard time kind of abandoning that is because of the idea of evidence-based practice. Because there is research that shows that pelvic floor strengthening, isolated pelvic floor work, Kegels, i.e., are effective in some of these areas. And so it's difficult as a profession to move away from something that the research has shown, especially when that evidence-based practice is such a buzzword. And I think that's when you did so, doing such a deep dive into like the actual research and reading the full papers, not just the abstract, not just the conclusion, 
I think some of those that you pulled out of there are going to really help people make that transition and be really comfortable with, hey, this is the evolution. This is Pelvic PT 2.0. Talk to me about that. And honestly, just with anything that I do, you guys, it's not just, hey, I do it this way, you should too. And frankly, if anybody is out there and is teaching that way, then that's not like the best way to teach. Like what I want to teach you guys is some foundational principles and my interpretation of the research. That's literally what you pay for in a course. You pay for somebody to go through and do a deep dive of the evidence. And then if there's a novel way to look at that evidence or to synthesize that evidence, then that's essentially what you're paying for in a course. And that's what I've done here. But my goal is not to get everybody, you know, not doing Kegels. I think, you know, sometimes the this gets bastardized into an anti-Kegel approach. And while in shorthand for Instagram and stuff, sometimes it tends to go that way because you have to say what you mean in a very truncated version of of your philosophy. But at the end of the day, like I want you guys to be making this decision for yourself and this course like presents a different lens through which you can look at all of the evidence and and say like yes, we understand that this is how the pelvic floor has been studied, but also there's some really cool evidence to show all of the things about how it automatically contracts with different musculature. It's represented in our brain in multiple ways. If we take that and apply it to our orthopedic approach, then what I basically present in the course is a philosophy and a a system by which you can sort of adapt that to any one of your patients and create a really cool fun, not boring pelvic floor strengthening program while using the evidence that we have. But it's not going to be like, here are all these different exercises that you can do. It's basically like, here's the framework by which I think you should be assessing and treating these patients. And by using this framework, then you can make any exercise, a pelvic floor strengthening exercise. And that's where the fun comes in, right? I'm Again, I am not going to give you in this course, full disclosure, a video list of all these different exercises that you should be doing because I don't know your patient. I don't know what their pelvic floor feels like in standing. I don't know what that feels like in a half lunge or, or a squat. Like, I don't know. So that's your job is to figure out, is to be do an innovative way of assessing the pelvic floor strength, seeing where their movement pattern breaks down in that system and train the system in a way that's going to still allow the pelvic floor to work in the system that it's meant to function, but also still strengthen that whole piece. And that's where the fun comes in. So it's like, that's where I get excited to share this stuff with you. So that's that's the whole gist is that the there is a framework by which we can still use evidence and use what we know about the pelvic floor, how it's similar to certain things that we do with strengthening and strengthening principles, but also most importantly, how it's very much different than every other muscle in our body and we can create this really fun system that we can plug people into and the output is different every time. And that's what's super fun. Well, that 
basically sums it up, guys. And that I love the way you say that, Nicole. You can't replace like a, a protocol or a standardized thing with another standardized thing. You have to replace it with a framework on how to think and how to do this for yourselves and engage with that, uh, that really fit pelvic PT with an ortho lens. So if you guys are interested in learning more, like this is the time. So make sure to look and check that course out before it closes to the second cohort by this Friday, St. Patrick's Day 317. But just as a couple of just overview of a little bit of what's in there, it's 12 modules, 12 plus hours, live demonstrations. If you order this second cohort, you'll get access to the live Q&A. And we've got all the, the details on the site. It's at pelvicptrising.com slash Kegels. But course objectives are to get more functional strengthening to get your patient up off the table. Understand how any exercise can be a pelvic floor exercise. Learn to do a standing assessment, parentheses, without it being weird. And be able to replace the isolationist strengthening with adaptive strengthening for better patient outcomes. So, and frankly, way more fun as a pelvic therapist. Yes. And there's some good, really nice things that about 300 of you guys have already been through it. I hope we're going to get a similar group coming through in the second cohort. I'm going to embarrass Nicole a little bit because I've got to read a couple of nice things that people have said. I always Um, get so weird with this. I like want to go. Clay's like kind of crying in the background. So I want to go like pick him up. I'm going to go check on him. Right. (laughs) Suzanne, it'll completely change the way you think of and approach strengthening. Michelle, this course single-handedly changed the way I educate, approach, and treat all my patients. Julia, I now feel more confident with advanced strengthening and my patients are progressing faster as well. This course helped me progress my patients to more functional positions, demands with more confidence and gave me techniques in standing to do just that. So we've got some more information there, guys, but make sure to check that out. If this sounds interesting, if you have had some of those same feelings that Nicole has that, hey, there's something more than what we're talking about. Like this, this is the course. This is why Nicole created it. And it's been really great to see that feedback and can't wait for this next group of you guys to go through in the second cohort. Yeah, man, it's been years in the making. This one probably took me the most amount of time in terms of like thinking and years of research. Your brain for like six years, right? Yeah. And I really was trying to be very deliberate about how I went about and taught this material um, because I think it's really important. And whenever we are challenging something that's been so fundamental to our practice, we both need to revere and and be thankful and grateful for the people that came before us to present like this way that we're kind of treating now and also and be very respectful of that but then also be like great we're going to take those principles and then we're going to use take it through this new lens with new research and then create this new way of thinking about pelvic floor strengthening so it's not just throw the baby out with the bathwater it is fully synthesized in that way. Yeah, standing on the shoulders of the giants who have come before. So if you guys have questions about this, please reach out. Head to pelvicptrising.com slash Kegels for all of the details. Make sure that you sign up by Friday to get that discount and get access to that live Q&A. And as always, let us know if you have questions. We want to keep this conversation going. And let's continue to rise. Rise.